Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. So we are in this series uh, when we are preparing for this discipline of reading the Bible together, and we're doing so by looking at, a, at some key questions that I typically get asked about when, when people are approaching reading the Bible. And um, we're going to look at one today that's really kind of a conglomeration of a lot of questions. It's only had three weeks to work with this. Uh, but to get us in that, in that frame of mind, I'm going to read now from 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is verses 14 to 17. And these are probably the most famous words in Scripture about Scripture. But I remind you that when, uh, when this letter was written, it was not scripture. So it did not know it was going to be scripture writing about scripture. <laughs> How's that for confusing? Uh, but it, is, it is, uh, does give us some good words about scripture that we're going to look at more closely in just a moment here. So now hear these words from 2 Timothy. But you must continue with the things you have learned and found convincing. You know who taught you. Since childhood, you have known the holy scriptures that help you to be wise in a way that leads to salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character, so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts our minds, and our eyes, that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So the question we're looking at this week is, why should we read the Bible together as Methodists? So Methodists are somewhat notorious in the Christian family for being the ones that don't bring their Bibles to church. (laughs) And who never crack them open. Um, and we don't know them. Um, which, I, that's a mischaracterization. I find that actually Methodists do know the Bible and do know it really well. What we don't do is proof text people. We don't quote scriptures at them to kind of uh, be confrontational about it. But we know the stories and we're shaped by the stories. You know it better than you think you do. And so I want to encourage you in that reality. And I want us to, to lay claim to some distinctive things about Methodism when we consider this journey of reading Scripture together. And, and I turned to our book of discipline to find some of the things that we believe about Scripture. And several times we are quoting our founder, John Wesley. Um, John Wesley said, Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary for salvation. What he means by that is you can go to Scripture and you can learn what you need to know about Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is for us and how God works in our life and grace is at work in our life calling us to God and that God loves us in all things and seeks for us abundant life. You can find that in Scripture and that's all you need. What John Wesley did not say was that all Scripture is necessary for salvation. So you see the difference there that Scripture contains all things necessary for salvation is different than all Scripture is necessary for salvation. We recognize that there are Scriptures that are problematic. 
There are scriptures that, that fit a different time and a different context and worked in those spaces, but now need to be read with some questions around them or maybe, not, maybe don't need to be lifted up at the same level that some other scriptures that we know lead us to salvation need to be lifted up. But how do we know when to do that? Well, we have to do that in community. We have to do that in conversation with one another. And this is where we turn to Wesley's words that, no, that he believed there is no religion but social religion and no holiness but social holiness. Basically, what he's saying there is that we can't do this faith journey alone. You will end up, your, the God that you worship will look just like you. You won't be challenged. You won't be transformed. You won't be moved. If you're not walking in this journey of faith with others, you have to have others alongside you. You need a community of faith. And that's also why he emphasized holy conferencing. Our whole structure of Methodism is built around this idea that we conference with one another, that we gather together, that we discuss the important things of our faith, that we, that we listen to one another and we learn from one another and we engage with one another. And we don't even always have to agree with one another. One of the things that Wesley said is that as to all opinions which do not strike at the root of Christianity, we think and let think. We think and let think. Basically what he was saying is there are some hard and fast things about Christianity that you should hold to. That Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that God is creator, that God's grace is active in us from our very first breath and is drawing us to God that God loves us all and seeks abundant life and eternal life for us. Those are hard and fast. The rest of this stuff is just part of the journey of faith that we, we go through together and that we share with one another and we question and we ask and we seek in the midst of it. But we allow for difference of opinion in those spaces. Now, when, it, when we're trying to discern God's will in the midst of that, we, we have to have these sources that we draw from to help find God's will. And you've heard me talk about this before. It's called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And that is not a, a term that Wesley himself coined. Those are scholars who were looking at what Wesley was using, but they found he used these four sources of faith. And what I think this is, is just being honest about how we try to figure out God's will in the midst of things in that we use scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Those are the four elements that we use when we're trying to discern God's will. And what's wonderful about this is a lot of times we're not even aware that we're using all of those things. It's kind of this meta understanding that's at work in us just on average. But what is great that I found as I was preparing this sermon is that all four of those things are in the scripture that I just read to you. And I'm going to show you what I mean. So, when we look at Scripture, well, we, it specifically says Scriptures are inspired by God, and they're useful for helping us lead us to salvation in faith through Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of Scripture. Notice that it says Scriptures are inspired by God, not dictated by God. We covered that last week, right? It is, it, the Holy Spirit is at work as people are sharing in this story and telling this story and putting this story down on paper and canonizing it. And the Holy Spirit's at work as we are trying to discern what that means for us today. And then tradition. Tradition, um, tradition comes about in the, in the scripture that I just read in the line, you know who taught you 
You didn't just wake up and believe in Jesus Christ as a divine revelation. If you did, come see me. That's pretty cool. Um, but no, you were, you heard this story from other people who came before you. You've been shaped by a church tradition or many church traditions. You are part of a long history that has led to this moment for you to have faith in Jesus Christ. That's the tradition at work. All of those people that have come before, all of those rituals and understandings and writings and doctrine that has come before you, that has taught you. Reason. The, the reflection on reason is when, it, when you're guided to look at the things you have learned and found convincing to be wise. You've learned them and you've found them convincing. Which means you've thought about it. We think and let think. We want you to think about your faith and use your mind. And we see that as a godly endeavor. And then experience comes about as mentioned in all the things that happen in teaching, in showing mistakes, in correcting, in training character with the purpose of doing good. How many of you all have learned something very important about your faith journey through the mistakes that you have made? Right? How many, how many have learned because of the things that you have taught and then put into practice and see them bear fruit? That's the experience that we're talking about there. So I promised you last week that we would return to the crazy verse from Hosea. And I would show you how we can get to meaning and how it can have purpose for us. Because just standing there on its own... It's, it's a crazy verse, right? So I'm going to refresh our memory on this verse. This is the verse. This is Hosea 3.1. Then the Lord said to me again, Go, make love to a woman who has a lover and is involved in adultery, just as the Lord loves the people of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. All right, so remember, we, we don't know what to do with the instruction to go have an affair and uh, because... These people have a problem with the raisin cakes. What are we supposed to do with that, right? What do we do? So, so this is where working through the, the quadrilateral can be helpful, right? So if we look at Scripture, when we look at Scripture, we don't just center in on one verse. We pull it back. What was going on in the whole of Scripture there? And what we see is that this is a Hosea is a pre-exilic prophet, which means it's before the exile. And he is called to warn them about the fact that they're practicing idolatry and that's going to lead to bad things. It's not going to work out for them. And so we've got to put this in terms of that narrative. And so, so this metaphor that's being used here, this, um, this taking an unfaithful spouse, um, is, is a metaphor for what God feels like the relationship is with, with Israel right now. And, and it's also important to recognize that, that in Scripture, this is a prophetic book, and prophets are often called to symbolic acts that represent that reality. So when this instruction is given to Hosea, it's a representation of that relationship between God and Israel. Now, the question is, is Hosea supposed to take that literally, or is this symbolic? And to stay symbolic. And so that's when we look at tradition, right? And tradition, prophets have long been called to these kinds of actions, these actions that get people's attention, these actions that are out of the ordinary so that people ask what is going on there. And we have seen that. We see that all the time. We see it in the hunger strike of Gandhi. 
We saw it in the marches of the civil rights movement or in, um, in Rosa Parks, you know, refusing to get up. Those are prophetic actions. In, in early Christian history, St. Francis rejects the, the materialism of his father. Um, his father uh, was a rich merchant, and St. Francis felt called to the vow of poverty and to walk away from that. So what did he do? He stripped down naked in the middle of the town square and left all of his clothes there and walked out. Okay, so took it very literally, right? Um, and, maybe the, and maybe that made the point. Um, but are we always supposed to do these kind of literal things? You know, Origen, who was an early um, Christian uh, father, um, read the words that Jesus said you should become a eunuch for God, and so he castrated himself. And then later went, I think Jesus might have been being metaphorical there, <laughs> but there's no undoing that, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, so be sure you know what they're talking about whenever, whenever they do this. And, um, and whether it's meant to be a metaphorical understanding or if it's meant to be literal and lived out for us so that we get the point. Tradition also helps us learn whenever we encounter those things that seem strange, like this raisin cake thing, it's helpful to go to tradition and find out what happened. So as I read earlier scholars on this, there were two sort of things that they marked about what's going on with the raisin cakes. One is that it may have been an offering called for for the other gods. So you can see how they're loving these raisin cakes goes with the idolatry piece. Another um, line of scholarship says that what's going on there is that raisin cakes were a sign of wealth. If you could afford raisin cakes, you are living very wealthy. And what may be at work here, and this is often the case in the prophets, was, was the prophet being critical of those who were using their wealth for their own gain and their own indulgence and ignoring the needs of the poor and the needy around them. So either one of those, I think, could be a good um, piece in the understanding of this, and they come from consulting the tradition, right? Then if we take our reason, well, we can reflect on what we have learned. You know, wealth and idolatry are still problems today. In fact, wealth may be our greatest idol, right? It may be the thing that we worship more than anything else. And we can also see the value, as I mentioned, Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, we can see the value in a prophet engaging in a prophetic act. But then our reason may also lead us to ask an additional question. But is that fair to expect of a family? Because what happens in Hosea is that he marries this woman and divorces her and marries her again. And it's hard to tell whether that was just talked about in symbolic terms or if Hosea actually did that. And if Hosea actually did that, was that right? Was that right to put a woman, a woman and his children through that vulnerable time of divorce and through all the emotional turmoil of taking them in and rejecting them and taking them in? Was that right? That's a, that's a real question we need to ask. And then we can reflect on our own experience of this. Because the truth of the matter is all, pro, all pastors are called to be prophets at some point. It's part of our role. And the truth of the matter is our families do get drawn into it. We, they do. They get moved around. They get made public figures, whether they wanted to be public figures or not. They pay the price for whatever decisions that we make. They, they pay that price as well. 
So it's an important thing for us to reflect on um, in that reality. Um, and it is also then important to recognize that the prophetic actions that are taken do enact change. They do make a difference. So, so sometimes sacrifices like that are worth it. But shouldn't they be weighed out? Shouldn't they be considered? And then we do need to recognize within that that whether we're a prophet or not, any action that we take on behalf, any action that we take, period, does not end with us. It always has repercussions on the community. And so when we act selfishly or self-centered, that comes with a cost to others. Well, that was one verse. Look at all that we got to consider out of that one verse because we brought that in. Now, as we, as we go through this journey together, we're going to take on the whole Bible, and there's going to be moments of real questioning. There's going to be moments of real engagement. And you're going to be using the Wesleyan quadrilateral whether you realize it or not. It is part of that reality of just reading. Um, but that's the big picture, and you don't have to think in those terms. Like, you don't have to sit down and read and go, all right, I've got my Wesleyan quadrilateral ready. Let me, let me go through it. Instead, in the, in the reading guide, we give you a couple of different practical ways to approach Scripture. One is what's called naive reading. I got this from a, a pastor friend of mine. Um, and basically what you do is you read a passage of Scripture, you write down three observations that you made about that, that passage, then you write down three questions you have as a result of that, of that passage. And then you engage in conversation with someone else. Talk to someone else that's here or even just research on the Internet. There's lots of interesting stuff out there on the internet. I encourage you to come see me if something's really weird. Um, but, um, but yeah, you engage in that conversation with others and grow and see what you can learn. And then from Don Hall, who's one of the retired pastors in our congregation, we got the, the SOAPI approach, which is an acronym. So S stands for scripture. You pick a passage to read. O stands for observation. You write down what you notice about the passage. A stands for application. How could this passage apply to my life? P is for prayer, pray for guidance, insight, direction, and purpose from the Holy Spirit as to what this passage means for you. And Y is yield. Ask how your life would be different if you applied this to your life. You don't have to do that with every passage of Scripture that you read this year, but I encourage you once a week to take one of the passages as you read and go through this process. And then I encourage you also, there's information on here about how to sign up for Amplify, which has videos that will help walk alongside this journey. You want to start... You want to go in, sign up for Amplify, and then type in the Bible year, and then start with episode 36, because remember, we're starting with Matthew, we're not starting with Genesis. So start with episode 36, and those can be helpful for you. And then there are other opportunities for discussion. We're going to have a pastor's Bible study, Sunday school class, um, at the Sunday school hour that you can just drop in on. It will be myself and Don Hall who will run that. Um, not, not starting this week, but starting the following week, uh, the first week of September. And you just come in and bring your questions. And if you don't have any questions, trust me, pastors can come up with stuff to talk about. So, um, but I encourage you to bring your questions. And then my Bible study will move to 5.30 to 7.30, and it's a drop-in. You drop in on Wednesday nights anytime in that 5.30 to 7.30 window. Bring your questions, come listen to the conversation, be part of the discussion. All of this is because we need to read this book, and we need to read it as Methodists. Because there's a dominant narrative out there about the Bible, and we read it differently. 
And we need to be able to enter into that conversation. We need to be the people who can think and let think and provide space for that. We need the people that can conference with one another and walk alongside one another and disagree and struggle and have questions and find faith in the midst of it. The world desperately needs this witness now, so consider this an act of rebellion that you're doing or an act of service to a hurting world. And let me tell you what my hope is for you in this journey. When I have studied the Bible with people, I've always seen transformation happen. Always. People go into it open and ready to receive. Lives are changed. Even if it's in last week in, in my Bible study, we were, we were dealing with the, the passages of Philip in, in Acts 8 and kind of talking through all of the things that were at work there. And, and one of the people in the, in the class said, you know what, behind all of this is a desire for power. And I said, yeah, and I would push it further and say behind the desire for power is fear. They're afraid and they think they can get security in power. And then I said, you know, I've studied fear in the Bible and I actually think it's the first thing we created way back in Genesis, when we hid from God. I think we created fear. And I think God's been trying to get us to not be afraid ever since. And then I ended the class on that moment. And um, the, the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit was palpable in that space. Um, but also, I have had a lot of questions and conversations since that moment because people are still wrestling with that and still being transformed by it. And I've had moments, I walked through the entire Bible with a woman who had been abused and attacked by a man. And through that journey with scripture in a year, she came to understand that she had to forgive him. She also came to understand that the holy thing to do was not to tell him she had forgiven him not to reach out to him and start any contact back with him. That the boundary she had set that put him out of her life was the boundary that was good for both of them. But she also recognized she needed to give up the hate and the anger. It was tearing her apart. And it was scripture that moved her to that place of forgiveness. And you all know that I picked up the Bible at age 13, not sure if I was going to believe in God or not at the other end. And the other end of that journey was that I did. I believed in God, and I loved God and the Bible. And that's the other thing I hope for you. That on the other side of this, you fall so much more deeply in love with God because of the stories you've seen and the experience that you've had, and the presence of the Holy Spirit that has worked in your life. And I hope that you quit being afraid of this book. And you learn to love it too. Because, yeah, there's lots of questions in this book. There's lots to struggle with. There's lots to reject. But there are beautiful words in this book and all the things necessary for salvation are found in it. Beautiful words. 
wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.